you know what? It's really fun to be here. They're gonna bring a flag home for me, man. Yes, sir. Perfect for the lead of three. Man, I'm so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Anything's possible! Backs it out against Turner. Here's the rerun. Shoots it again, and the same result. Gordon Hayward says, yes, this is my building. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How the fuck are we doing? It's the Banner Banter Podcast, episode number 40. Pretty funny. 4-0. Celtics beat the Pacers. It's episode 4-0. Let's go. What a win. What a series. Oh my god. Sixth time. Folks, think about this. It is the sixth time in the entire history of the Boston Celtics that they've actually swept a team. Think about all the amazing Celtics teams, the 80s teams, the 50s, the 60s, the the mid-2000 teams. Sixth time in history that they have swept a team, and it's episode 40 of the Banner Branch Podcast. I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. Find me on the Twitter machine at BannerBanter18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast. Wow, 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 wow. I am, oh man, I'm so hyped. New intro, hope you like it. If you don't, well, okay, whatever. But hey, guess what? As cool as it is that this is episode 40 and the Celtics won 4-0, I, 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 I'm mind blown by that. But what's most important here, folks, is last year, the Boston Celtics in the playoffs got one road win. And that one road win was in Philadelphia. This year, this Boston Celtics team already has two road wins. So take that home and chew it. I'm, I'm amped. I'm going to stutter over my words and burp throughout this entire podcast. I am pumped. I am so pumped. Let's get into the stud and dud of the game. Hit the music. Playoff edition. And now, it is time for your Celtics stud and dud. Playoff edition. All right, the stud and dud of the game is Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward, 20 points, 7 and 9 from the field, plus 13, 2 assists, 1 board. And, you know, yesterday was Easter, and he died. Gordon Hayward died when Miles Turner dunked him in dunked on him in the second quarter, but because it was Easter, he rose from the dead and had an unbelievable second half. There was a stretch for Gordon Hayward and Marcus Morris for, it was about two minutes and 30 seconds worth. And this is how it went. Mook hit a three. Mook, aka Marcus Morris, aka Stand By Your Man, hit a three. Then Hayward hit a three. Then Hayward and one. Mook hit a three. Every single one of Marcus Morris' threes Gordon Hayward brought the ball up the court and had a hockey assist. So he was involved in all of that. And that stretch 
expanded the lead to double digits for the Celtics late in the fourth quarter, and that was the final sweep of the broom for the Indiana Pacers. So Gordon Hayward was phenomenal in this game. Gordon Hayward, when he's on the court, if he's playing like that, good luck to the other teams because he was something special. It was interesting to see Marcus Morris out there versus Jalen Brown towards the end since everyone was so juiced that the opening night starting lineup was finally playing in clutch time minutes together and playing well. But Marcus Morris really shot the ball well in this game. Jalen Brown was a little off in this game, which is fine. He was good defensively. But Marcus Morris was was good. But Gordon Hayward was great. Plus 13. Plus 13. Celtics were 13 points better when Gordon Hayward was on the floor, and they only won by four points. Now, they probably should have won by... 12 or 13, but they kind of gave up the last 60 seconds, and that's fine, so be it. And the dud of the game is Kyrie Irving. He did say after game three that the, cl- the closeout game is the hardest game you need, to, you need to win or you need to play all season. And it sucked for him. He was 4 of 13 from the field, a minus 10. So that means when Gordon Hayward was on the floor, he was 23 points better than Kyrie Irving for the team. Crazy. He didn't hit a single three-pointer all game. And, and, and you know what? It's fine. It, it wasn't his best game. Get it out. He was bound to have a bad playoff game. And sure, game three, he wasn't unbelievable like he was in game one and game two. But this game was crap. See you later. Bye-bye. Get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. And, I, and I'm wondering if it's because he did get hit in the chest pretty early running through a screen by Miles Turner. And it knocked the wind out of him. And I'm wondering if he was affected by that and if he's going to be out a couple days because of it. Because after that, he didn't fight through a single screen where that's been one of the positive things about Kyrie so far in the first three games of the series is he was very good defensively. He was fighting through screens, didn't want to switch, but he tried to switch a lot today. And you could definitely notice it. Corey Joseph got open a few times. Collinson got open a few times. Wesley Matthews, who's a bum. What a washed-up bum that dude is. If some team is offering him the type of money that the Mavs offered him a while back, that's a laughingstock of the NBA. He even took off his karate kid headband, and he still sucked. Like, it wasn't going to help either way, Wesley. See you later. Now, someone else that kind of sucked in this game, but was sneaky good, I think, was Al Horford. Al Horford had some turnovers. He was 4 of 19 from the field. Folks, in... All of my time watching Al Horford, whether he was on the Hawks or maybe watching him in the Final Four with Florida, I've never seen Al Horford play this poorly in a basketball game. But he had six offensive rebounds, which I don't think will be talked enough when everyone's recapping this game. Those six offensive rebounds led to double-digit points, and that's huge for this team. Offensive rebounding is ginormous for this team, especially in this next round, and I'll explain that when I give you a full preview of us playing the Bucks because I would be shocked, like completely and utterly shocked if the Bucks blow a 3-0 lead because, like I said last week, no team has ever come back from a 3-0 lead. So I'd be shocked if the Pistons win that Bucks series 4-3. So we'll give you a full preview of the Bucks series coming up. Now, in the first, let's kind of break it down quarter by quarter like I've been doing for the last three or four podcasts. And by the way, thank you so much for listening this week. I know listening to a lot of podcasts is the cool thing to do now and the fact that a lot of people listen to mine three times this week. Very, very grateful for that. First quarter, it wasn't ideal. I mean, obviously that hot start was sexy. They went, what, 
eight nothing, but then they gave up a ten zero run and they got sloppy just like real quick. But one thing I did enjoy a part of that eight zero running, some of the other baskets that the Celtics made in the first quarter were transition three pointers, like f- forcing a turnover, fast break pulling up, popping a three. If those go in, it's such a good look, and it will really help the team because a lot of teams will now change how they do things defensively or change their offensive setups because of that so someone can always stay back for you know a long rebound and a long outlet pass. So that was very, very interesting and cool to see. But the Celtics were sloppy again. Five turnovers and four assists. That's not good. You can't have a negative assist to turnover ratio especially in the playoffs and especially against a good team in the Bucks in the second round and especially against the Raptors and the 76ers if it does happen in the second quarter Brad put in a really weird lineup of Kyrie Daniel Tice Marcus Morris Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward maybe they've played together before I could dig through some NBA stat lineup things that I feel like you really don't care about that much, and neither do I, but it was just a weird lineup. Maybe they played a few minutes together, and I just didn't notice it, but I did notice it in this one. It just didn't seem that it worked out that well, and I just don't ever want to see it again. And uh, speaking of things I never want to see again, the Celtics, again, were super sloppy. Six more turnovers and five assists. So at this point, they now have 11 turnovers and nine assists going into halftime. That's piss poor offensive piss poor offensive piss poor offensively like that's terrible but I will say this the shots that were falling in game three for this team whether it was in the first quarter or the fourth quarter just weren't falling at all at any point during this game and that's okay and I understand that Jalen Brown got dunked on and that really juiced up you know the Indiana Pacers crowd because there were times when my when a I think it was Miles Turner was taking a free throw shot where if you looked in the top right hand corner there was a lot of empty seats the Indiana Pacer faithful did not come out for this game and that's sad because they had a hell of a season especially losing Victor Oladipo and this series would have been a lot different I still think the Celtics would have won in five or six games but Victor Oladipo being out in that court I I know I've said it every single episode so far during these playoff games but he would have made a huge difference and it's such a shame that Pacers fans just didn't show up for it but with that being said Gordon Hayward getting dunked on cool crazy whatever you want to call it that was a sick dunk you know I'm not gonna lie that was a sick dunk Gordon Hayward was put on a poster but you need to realize that right after that play Jalen Brown hit a huge ginormous super duper size three-pointer in the corner that gave the Celtics the lead back if Jalen Brown didn't hit that three, and the Pacers got the ball back and pushed down. That could have been one of those epic Celtics coll- collapses that we saw a lot, where the, a couple things don't go their way, and then everyone you know, pouts, and next thing you know, we're playing Game 5 on Wednesday night at TD Garden. So I thought that Jalen Brown three was absolutely ginormous for the Celtics going in. Like, it was, it was obviously like late in the quarter, so obviously going into halftime being down like that would have sucked. So the fact that they were only down two and matched the Pacers 26-26 scoring-wise, I thought was a great thing. And then coming out in the third quarter, it really wasn't ideal. Jalen Brown let Bogdanovich hit a three, and I, you know, and I was wrong about Bogdanovich. I thought Bogdanovich was going to go off in this game, and he was 6 of 14. He played 37 minutes, only scored 22 points. So, I mean, I was close. I said he was going to drop 30, but he, he's got eight rebounds. He went to the free throw line 10 times. And by the way, the Celtics shot 34 free throws in this game, folks. 
The Celtics in 34 usually means Paul Pierce. You never think about the Celtics hitting or shooting 34 three throws. They missed 27. So, we, I mean, they missed 27. They hit 27, which means they missed seven. And they only shot, I think that's what, 78, 79%, if you want to do math. And yeah, I think, yeah, it's like 79% or something, but whatever. But here's the thing. If the Celtics can get to the free throw line 34 times a game, and then they go 11 for 28 from three, or 12 of 29 from three, whatever they did in the game, that is ginormous. And they're going to score a lot more than 110 points because that's going to open up so many more things for so many other people. You know, I think Kyrie went to the line seven times, Horford went to the line six times, Tatum went to the line 12 times. So just between the starters, if you could get 25, 26 free throws, and then you, you figure you can get... 10, 11 free throws from the bench, that's going to be huge. But back to Bogdanovich, his three-pointer, I think it was like less than a minute in. I think it was like 57 seconds in into the third quarter. Brad Stevens was pissed at Jalen Brown, absolutely pissed. And he called one of his mad Brad timeouts. And it was just like that type of lazy defense really could have cost the Celtics game four and could have forced them, you know, into game five at TD Garden. You know, just playing that extra game you don't want to play because chances are if the Nets can if the Nets or the Magic can drag out any of their series which I don't think they're going to do the Celtics could have like another five or six days off before they have to play the Bucks, and I think that's great for Marcus Morris's knees that's great for Al Horford's knees that's great for Kyrie's chest if he's having an issue I'm sure Gordon Hayward's sore that gives a little bit more time for Marcus Smart to come back and we'll get into that in a little bit and then, obviously, the Celtics in the third quarter cut down the lead. They got it down. I think they were up one. Yeah, I think they were up one going into the, the third quarter. Let me let me just double check. Yeah, they were up one going into the third quarter. They scored 26 points back-to-back in the second and third quarter and gave up. So they scored 52 points in those two quarters, and the Pacers scored 49. So great job there, especially defensively, because... The, the Pacers did go cold for a little bit, especially in that fourth quarter, because the Celtics on, at one point went on an 18-6 to run in the fourth quarter. But And Al Horford, I thought, stayed out way too long. Like, Horford playing 32 minutes, I mean, yeah, I think it was 32 or 33 minutes. He, he must have played at least an 8 or 9 minute set, and that's just not needed. And because of that, they had to bring out Baines and Tice. So let me just say this in the nicest way possible. Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice should never be on the effing floor together. Ever. They just don't work out. You know, like, one's some somewhat athletic, one's physical, but both really aren't ideal offensively. So, yeah, just ugh, all set. Like, put semi-ogele in if, if, you, if you need a physical body. But what I was really, really impressed with was Sabonis did another decent job tonight passing the basketball. But he also had a couple huge turnovers for them, and all because of Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris, you know, remember how I was talking in Game 3, how Terry Rozier would come down from the perimeter to try to help Horford with Sabonis in the post? That didn't really work, and I think Brad noticed that. So what he had was he had everyone kind of rotate over, and then weak side help by Marcus Morris came over, put the hands up, they tried to skip it across the court. Terry Rozier would come over, steal the ball, and that was great, great weak side defensive help by Marcus Morris. 
It really was. I was very, very happy with that because you don't really think about Marcus Morris being like a good weak side help defender, but he was great. And Terry Rozier, with his two steals in the game and he 11 points plus nine, that was delicious. Absolutely delicious. And I was really happy to see Terry actually play really, really well. And then one other thing before we move on, while I just break down the series now that it's over, is I understand why the NBA called that flagrant foul on Corey Joseph late in the game on that Jason Tatum dunk. But here's the thing. That should have never happened. Not not from Corey Joseph's end, but from Jason Tatum's end. Jason Tatum caught that ball, and he was jogging like he, it was just like a walk in the park. And I know that doesn't make any sense when you jog and then walk in the park, but he was just taking his time, tick-tock, not that big of a deal. It's the playoffs, Jason. Get the basketball, run as fast as you can, and throw down an absolute hammer. Do it. Like, I've noticed that Jalen, Jalen, sometimes Terry, but mostly Jason, will literally be so lazy on these fast break layups or dunks, and it drives me nuts. Like, what if Corey Joseph blocked that? Tatum doesn't go to the line, doesn't get his flagrant foul free throws. Celtics would now be down two at that point versus being only being up one. No, they would have been down one instead of being up one. It could have changed the game if Corey Joseph made that block. So just Jason Tatum, like Giannis, you can't do that against Giannis. I'm, by the way, I know it's Giannis, but I just like saying Giannis, so I'm probably going to say Giannis a lot, even though it's Giannis, but I should probably just call him the Greek freak and shut myself up. But anyways, Giannis will stuff you two sides to the moon, or six shades to the moon, whatever that saying is. I don't even know if it's a saying, but I've heard it before, I think. Maybe I just saw it on Twitter. I mean, you shouldn't believe everything you see on the internet. But Tatum's got to be more aware and more aggressive on those fast break points because get the dunk. Let's move on. Let's go. All right. Now, why did the Celtics win this series? We could talk a lot of things. I think first off, they shot 44% from the field, 39% from three, which is huge. Both of those are better than their regular season averages. I thought that was great. Really wasn't happy with the assists. They only had about 20 assists a game, 16 turnovers, and that's like a 1.2, 1.3 assist to turnover ratio. And that's not going to cut it in the NBA playoffs. No way. You can't have 20 assists and 16 points. I mean, uh, 20 assists and 16 turnovers on average in an NBA series. It's not going to happen. But one thing that I really found sexy, like, so, so sexy. Defensive rating was at 95.8, under 100. You don't see that a lot in the NBA playoffs. So that was great to see. Now, I understand the Pacers really aren't that great offensively. They really don't have a go-to scorer, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't care. 95.8 defensive rating is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But most importantly, 80% defensive rebound percentage. That gives me all the feels. All the feels. Nipples hard, glad I'm not wearing sweatpants, you name it. But if the Celtics can get 80% of their defensive rebounds, if not more, in the next round, they'll win the series. No questions asked. Because rebounding is going to be vital, and I'll break that down in a little bit. But overall, Celtics swept them. 4-0, they did what they were supposed to do, win as quickly as possible. Obviously, some things have to improve. They have to take care of the ball better. The rebounding has to stay as is. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, Gordon Hayward, they still have to shoot with confidence. Terry Rozier, I mean, he only played like 20 minutes, but hey, if he can play 20 minutes, get us 11 points, 
get a couple rebounds, get a couple steals, I'm content with that. And I said that going into the playoffs. So I really think that I trust Kyrie and Al Horford to have bounce back games. But it's really, can Jason Tatum play like that again? Can Marcus Morris play like that again? Can Gordon Gordon Hayward play like that again? Can Jalen Brown bring back his Game 3 magic? And can Terry Rozier continuously improve? That's going to be very, very important going into this Bucs series. All right, folks, let's get into the most likely series with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm not going to talk about last year's seven-game series with the Bucks. You know, the Celtics won 4-3, to three, thankfully, because they had home court advantage because they only won one road game in the playoffs. They lost every single game last year in Milwaukee that they played. And guess who has home court advantage in this round because the Celtics were the four seed and the Bucks are the one seed. Yep, that's right, the Bucks. So I'm not going to talk about last year. I will say this, though. We are going to see a lot more Shemi Ojale. Excuse me. Excuse me again. That was absolutely disgusting. I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to edit it out. Now, we are going to see a lot of the muscle factory, Shemi Ojale. Shemi can be very physical with Giannis. Giannis isn't a great free throw shooter, and we'll talk about that in, in a couple minutes. But if you can be physical with Giannis, get him to the free throw line, waste some fouls, I think that will be a good thing. And it will also leave... Al Horford off of Giannis a little bit because the Greek freak is going to be guarded by Al Horford. Al Horford's a very good defender with Joel Embiid. He did a reasonable job, you know, decent, not like anything impressive, but just, you know, hey, golf clap, you know, golf clap, bravo, good job in last year's round one series. So if he can control Giannis, you know, make sure he doesn't go off for 40 or 35, but keep him in that 28 to 30 range because Giannis is going to get his guys. I mean, in my opinion, Giannis is the MVP of the league. He really and truly is. I thought, you know, James Harden, obviously some of his stats were ridiculous and how he scored like 30 straight points, like 28 games in a row, all crazy. But the Bucks would be a lottery team without Giannis. The Rockets might be too with James Harden, but the Bucks would have had probably like 15 wins and the Rockets might have had like 25 or 30. But hey, we're not talking about the MVP race. We're talking about round two of the NBA playoffs. Now, the Bucks and the Celtics played three times this year. The first game, Celtics won by four. It was in November. The Celtics hit 24 three-pointers in that game. 24 three-pointers and they only won by four. So right then and there, that's very alarming. Then in December, they won by 13, the Bucks. One by 13, they were up like 25 or 30 in that game. That was the game where the Celtics were down like 18 or 19 and Jalen Brown dunked on the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So if I keep saying Greek freak, you know it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he flexed on him. And it was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. He got the dud of the week because of that. I, I literally looked it back up. I literally gave him the dud for flexing when being down that much against a very good team. And then right after the All-Star break, the very first game after the All-Star break, I was actually in South Carolina for my buddy Jay's wedding, and we were in his very cool man cave, and we were watching the game, and they lost by one, and that was the game where Kyrie and or Marcus Morris got fouled on that inbound play, where the Celtics could have won that game, should have won that game. It was a very winnable game for that team. So obviously, the South, both teams looked terrible, very rusty, which is expected, and we might see a little bit of rust if the Celtics don't play in another five or six games. Like I kind of want them to kind of maybe play on like Thursday. You know, take two or three, maybe four days off and go play Thursday. You know, that way they don't lose the juice that they got going. But I just kind of want to break down why the Bucks 
are the number one seed because they're ridiculous. Oh, by the way, Giannis in those three games against the Celtics averaged 31 points and they won each time. So remember how I just mentioned like 28, 32 points, keep him somewhere in that range because he's going to get his. It's really about how everyone else does for the Bucks. The Bucks this year were 33-8 and eight at home in a brand new building. And they got home court advantage, guys. They were 60-22 and 22 this year overall, the best record in the NBA, better than the Warriors. And I know the Warriors had some speed bumps, so that's fine. But, oh, Jesus, I'm burping like a mother effort. The Bucks scored 118 points per game, which was more than the Golden State Warriors. So they had a better record than the Warriors, and they scored more points than the Warriors. Now, how many points did the Celtics score per game? 112. So write that in there. You're already down six points. The Bucks also hit more three-pointers on average, just on average, not total, on average, than the Golden State Warriors. Again, that's insane. How, like, that's ridiculous. Brooke Lopez has been an insane three-point shooter. Chris Middleton is such a great three-point shooter. Mirchich is a good three-point shooter. But, guys, if the Celtics can find a way for Giannis Antetokounmpo, a.k.a. the Greek Freak, to shoot three-pointers, the Celtics will sweep another series. Now, that's not going to happen, but if they can figure that out, it's they're going to win. They're going to win. The, Cel- the Celtics hit about 12.5 threes a game. The Pacers, I'm sorry, the Pacers, the Bucks hit 13.5 threes per game. The Bucks' three-point percentage is four percentage points higher than the Celtics. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Now, in this series, okay, the... The Bucks have been playing the Pistons, and they have shot 35 three-pointers a game, and the Celtics have only shot 29, and the Celtics are actually shooting 2% better in the playoffs. So that's a plus. So if the Celtics can keep shooting some threes at a better rate than the Bucks in the playoffs, that's a very, very good thing. Because remember, I just said the Celtics hit 24 three-pointers in November and only beat the Bucks by four. So every three-pointer is really going to matter. And here's another insane thing about the Bucks. The Bucks were top five in field goals made and field goal percentage. The Bucks made about 43 field goals a game and they sh- they shot 47% on average per game. And right now in the playoffs against the Bucks, uh, against the Pistons, I mean, they're shooting 50% from the field per game in the playoffs. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. That scares me a little bit. But I believe these four or five things can really and truly help the Celtics win this series. The Celtics are going to need all the help they can get, guys. The Bucks are ridiculous. Giannis is unreal. I want to say Celtics in seven. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Bucks in five or six. I'm just being realistic. The Bucks are a really, really good basketball team. The Celtics really don't match up with them well. But I think the Celtics' depth could help them there. But that means the depth of Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier, and hopefully a return of Marcus Smart will help them, okay? But that's huge ifs and buts. So if the Celtics win this in five or six, I will be absolutely shocked. And you guys know I'm all about the the Celtics, but I try and be as realistic as possible. So I'm not giving out any predictions by any way, shape, or form. All I know is that this is going to be a hell of a series and a hell of a mountain to climb to beat these Bucks. So these are the four or five things that I think the Celtics need to do to beat this team. Free throws, rebounding, turnovers, points in the paint, and pace. And let me explain what pace is. 
pace is how many possessions each team gets per game. So the higher amount of pace you have, or like the statistical number pace, that means the faster you play. So for example, the Bucks played the fifth fastest. They had 103 possessions per game. And the Celtics played the 16th fastest at 100 possessions per game. So basically what that means is the Bucks, because they play quicker, they shoot the ball quicker within that 24-second shot clock, they probably get more shot opportunities, which means they could be scoring more points, and their opponent is scoring less amount of points, or less amount of shots, I should say. So the fact that the the Pacers are, I mean, the I'm going to keep saying that, aren't I? You son of a bitch. The Bucks are going to be getting more shots up just based off these regular season numbers. Could be huge because if you think three possessions, that's three three-pointers, that's nine points right then and there. So that's ridiculous. Okay? So that's absolutely crazy. Now, you got to control the pace with them. You really and truly got to do, do that. Now, obviously, playoffs, it slows down. You know, regular season, you just kind of get up and go, going for a layup. No one's really going to contest. So the Celtics can't force quick shots in the shot clock. They got to force the right shot. So if the right shot is with three seconds left, so be it, because I'd rather have a shot with three seconds left that's the right one after a play is run than versus, you know, a step back after three or four dribbles shot with about 14 or 15 seconds left on the shot clock, because that's how the Bucks want to play. The Bucks want to give you a quick shot and then run, 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 run. And we don't want that, okay? The Celtics do not want that in any way, shape, or form. Here's the other thing. Free throws, free throws, free throw attempts are going to be huge. The Bucks were 15th at free throw attempts this season. They get about 23 a game, but here's the thing. They're a 77% free throw shooting team, which is 14th best in the NBA. So that means they're right in the middle of the pack. But here's what's crazy. The reason why they get about 23 free throws a game is because the Greek freak took 686 free throws this year which is about getting nine and a half free throws per game. He was second place overall in the league. You know who was first? James Harden. Obviously, James. I think James Harden shot like close to 900 free throws this year, which is insane. But Celtics fans, just listen to me here, okay? The Greek freak is going to get calls. Jason Tatum is not going to get calls. So just adjust to it now, okay? You complain that LeBron used to get calls all the time. Well, guess what? Giannis is going to get calls. That's how the NBA works. Okay, he's going to get calls. Some of them are going to be bullshit. Some of them are going to be reasonable. But just think before you react. Okay, it's going to happen. So you just got to be ready for it. Now, here's the issue with the Bucks taking 23 free throws a game, which was 15th most in the NBA. The Celtics <laughs> only take 19, which was like, 27th worst that's terrible folks 19 free throws a game for Kyrie Irving Jason Tatum Al Horford Gordon Hayward Jalen Brown Marcus Smart the king of flops 19 free throws a game that has to change they took 34 in game four yesterday against the Pacers that is a Celtics team I need 15 free throws less on average than what they did yesterday in game four now, here's the great thing. The Celtics are the fourth best free throw shooting team at 80%. So you're a good free throw shooting team. So attack the rim. Like, it's not rocket science. Attack the rim and good 
things will happen. You'll get to the line. Now, are you going to get to the line as much as Giannis? Probably not, but at least try. At least try. One thing that's also going to be very important in this in this series, points in the paint. <laughs> Celtics averaged 39% of their points came from the paint, which is the 27th best in the NBA. How many teams are in the NBA, folks? 30. 30, 29, 28, 27, which means they are the fourth worst team with points in the paint in the NBA in the regular season. Does that make anyone else feel uncomfortable? Because I'll tell you this right now, it makes me feel extremely uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable. Now, guess who's really good at it? The Bucks. The Bucks get 45%, which is top 10. It's like 11th, but with ties and stuff. It's top 10. 53 points per game they get. The Celtics only get 44 points per game in the post. You gotta get points in the paint. Because guess what? Points inside the paint, and you're attacking the rim. If the shots don't fall, you might get fouled, which would then lead to free throw shots, which you're very good at. So a lot of this series could be won inside the three-point line, especially since Giannis has taken over a 1,000 shots this season inside the three-point line. That's where he lives. So you got to keep up with it because there are times where the Celtics, you know, for example, game three, 41 points in that third quarter. I mean, I'm in that first quarter in game three. That's not going to happen throughout an entire game. So go to the line. Get points closer to the basket, Celtics. Please, I beg you, I beg you, especially when Giannis shoots 64% inside the three-point line. That's ridiculous. That's so good because basically they're all dunks. So you got to be physical. Baines. Baines is going to get put on a poster in this series, just like Gordon Hayward did yesterday with Miles Turner. Aaron Baines is going to get dunked on by Giannis. But the great part is he's going to try his damnness not to. And that's fine. Foul him because Giannis isn't a great free throw shooter. He only shoots about 70% from the line. So that's why I said earlier, if Shemi Ojale is going to do a little hack of Giannis to just kind of be physical with him, wear him out a little bit, I'm all for it because he's not that great of a free throw shooter. Here are two things that, the last two things that I think are extremely vital, but I have one thing that is uber important that I'm going to end the podcast with. Rebounding, 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 rebounding. I preached it in every single game versus the Pacers, and it worked. The Celtics won the rebound battle in every single game, except for game four. It was tied, but that's fine because they got more defensive rebounds. So I guess we'll take that as a win because remember, Celtics getting 80% of their defensive rebounds in the Pacers series is huge. But guess who's the number one overall team in the league during the regular season with 49 rebounds per game? The Milwaukee Bucks. And guess who was 22nd? The Boston Celtics, 44 rebounds. So literally, the Bucks get five more rebounds. More per game. 21 teams in between the two. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And this is how the three regular season matchups kind of broke down. Celtics lost by three. Celtics lost by 19. Celtics lost by five. And so far in the playoffs, the Celtics are getting more rebounds. I just said they get about 44 a game. In the playoffs, they got 47. But guess what? The Bucks 
are getting 53 rebounds a game, and in the regular season, they got 49. So each team is rebounding more. But the Celtics' offensive rebounding is better, almost a full rebound better than the Bucks. The Bucks do not attack the offensive glass. The Celtics, I felt like, did a reasonable job, especially Al Horford. He got six yesterday in game four. If the Celtics can get on the offensive boards, if they know that they're going to miss a three or there's going to be a long rebound, get after it because the Bucks don't go after their shots. But, you know, it's basketball basics. When your coach says, hey, follow your shot, the Celtics need to follow their shots. Kyrie does it every once in a while, like when he knows. Terry sometimes does it too, but the Bucks don't do it. You know, Brooke Lopez, when he's two feet behind the three-point line because now he thinks he's an unbelievable three-point shooter, which he is at times. It's absolutely ridiculous what he's done this year, shooting the three. But he's not going to run in and follow a shot. So defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding, team rebounding as a whole, uber, uber, uber important. And finally, turnovers. I preached throughout this entire Pacers series that the Celtics need to take care of the ball more. The Celtics are the third best team in the NBA with turnovers. They only gave up, they only turned the ball over 12.8 times a game. That's great. That's absolutely great. The Bucks, 13.9. So the Bucks literally almost a turnover and a half more than the Celtics. That's huge. Force turnovers, but take care of the ball. Don't let them. Steal the ball from you, steal the ball from them, make it happen. Okay? One final thing about this whole thing. Points off turnovers. You know, I just mentioned turnovers. <laughs> Looking at the points off turnovers for game four, Pacers 16, Celtics 15. But if you look at Celtics Bucks, Celtics are number five in the league. Points off turnovers. They get 18.1 off turnovers and the Bucks get 16.7. So if you can force more turnovers, take control of the ball, and when you force those turnovers, you score in transition, that's huge. So rebounding, points in transition, taking care of the ball, free throw attempts, rebounding, free throw attempts, rebounding, 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 rebounding. The pace of the game and points in the paint. Those things, did I mention rebounding? Those things can win this series for the Boston Celtics. Now, Three important things for each team. Tatum, Hayward, and Morris. Those are the three most important people in this series for the Celtics because I trust Al Horford on both ends. With Giannis, he can be physical with Giannis down on the block, and I understand Giannis is, and I keep saying Giannis, Giannis. Sorry, folks. Giannis, I'm really excited for this series because I think it will really test the Celtics team, and it could be the last time we see Kyrie Irving in a Celtics uniform too if the Celtics do lose. Just keep that in mind, okay? Um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it could be a possibility. I really think if the Celtics can beat the Bucks here, Kyrie stays. For real. And I know I really haven't talked about that a lot this year, but if the Celtics lose this series, it could be the last time we see Celtics and Kyrie Irving together as one. But I'm not worried about Al Horford and Giannis. I think, you know, Giannis is going to get his 30 as long as Horford can get his, you know, 15 and 10. I'm not worried about Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving is going to just make a fool out of Eric Bledsoe, more than Scary Terry did last year, okay? And remember, guys, Eric Bledsoe is fired up for this. He's on his little revenge tour, and that's why I think Morris, Hayward, and Tatum are so important because I think, I'm trying to say this the right way without sounding, like, too stupid, but I Chris Middleton is an all-star. He's very good. He's going to get his 18 to 22 points a game, 
But if you can get Morris 15 or 16, Tatum can get 20, Hayward can get 18, 19, or even 20. That is going to be better than what Lopez, Middleton, and Bledsoe can do for this team, for the Bucks. So if those three guys can outplay Middleton, which will be tough, but if the three of them combined can outplay Middleton, Lopez, and Bledsoe, and Sterling Brown or even Brogdon if he comes back, which we'll get to in a second, that's going to be absolutely important. Tatum, Jason Tatum, if you see Miracic on you, attack the rim. Just blow by him. You, you, you did it with Bogdanovich against the Pacers, and I guarantee you Bogdanovich is a better defender than Miracic. Gordon Hayward, coming off the bench. If you see Ersan Ilyasova on you, attack him. Attack him, attack him, attack him. They can't guard you. Drag that foot. Do that little step back. So be it. Attack the rim, just like you did in game four. Do that for me, please. Now, outside of Giannis, it's really going to be the three players that they're probably going to focus on is Miritich, Middleton, and Bledsoe. Brooke Lopez is going to get his. Brooke Lopez is going to get, you know, 12, 13 points. And if he hits a couple three-pointers, he's going to get probably 18 or 19 points a game. But if Al Horford isn't, like, for example, if Shemi is on Giannis, and Al Horford's on Horf in Brook Lopez. As long as Al Horford can just keep an eye out, like pistols, like I talked last week, one towards Lopez, one towards the ball. If it's Giannis with, with the ball, which most likely will happen, just don't let Brook Lopez fire up threes uncontested. Fly at him, put a hand in his face. You'll, everything will be fine. Eric Bledsoe wants revenge on the Celtics. The Celtics embarrassed him last year, especially Terry Rozier. Remember the whole Drew Bledsoe thing. He's going to want to come back, and he's having a career year. 15 points, 5 assists a game. He's going to want to just belittle the Celtics in any way, shape, or form that he can. And Miracic off the bench. It's obviously a big signing for them. Uh, I'm sorry, not a big signing. A big trade from the Pelicans this year. They brought him for that reason because he really spreads the floor out for them. You know, if you have Middleton, Lopez, Miritich, and let's just say another, let's say Sterling Brown out on the court, that gives Giannis the entire lane to drive by someone with his length, his athleticism, he's going to get by there. So Miritich is super important. You could leave Bogdanovich open here and there, but Miritich is one of those guys that it can really and truly get hot. One important question that's looking over this entire series is injuries to two very important guards, Marcus Morris and Mal- Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon, rookie of the year a couple years ago, Marcus Smart, the heart and soul of the Celtics, are both hurt and are both expected to be back somewhere in round two. Rumor has it Malcolm Brogdon will probably show up before him, which means Sterling Brown will probably be out of the starting lineup. And Sterling Brown has been playing some great, great minutes in this Pistons series for the Bucks, and even before the playoffs started. So keep an eye out for Sterling Brown. I believe he'll start next to Eric Bledsoe. Chances are the starters will probably be Lopez, Giannis, Middleton, Brown, and Bledsoe. That's probably going to be your starting lineup, unless Mike Busenho- is it Busenhoser, Busenhoser. Anyways, Mike B, the coach of the Bucks, he's going. He could change up the starting lineup, but I don't think that he should. You know, against the Celtics. Now, the issue with Brogdon, he has a plantar fascist tear, aka a tear in his foot, and he could be back in games two or three. But then Marcus Smart with his bad oblique might come back for games five, six, or seven. If the Celtics are dominating the series a little bit, they might not force Marcus Smart back. But if the Celtics are down like three games to one, you bring Marcus Smart back kind of like he did last year where you know he came back early from his thumb and it kind of changed the series around. A lot more physical, a lot more hustle, things that the Celtics needed, a little kick in the ass. 
and that was huge. Now, I know I've kept you guys here for a little bit, but I got to talk to you about one thing before we go with this series. I know I talked about my five keys, rebounding, points in the paint, free throw attempts, pace, and what was the other one? Turnovers. But this right here, I'm going to leave you with this, okay? Because I'm not going to talk to you guys again until after game one. All right? I'm not going to do another preview of the series once they announce the times. Follow me on Twitter, at BannerBancher18, Facebook and Instagram, at BannerBancherPodcast, to get the whole schedule when it does come up. But the Celtics, the second quarter. The Bucks, the second quarter. Listen to this. Okay, this is a little research that I did. This is going to blow your mind because currently it has blown my mind and kind of ruined my day after the Celtics beat the Pacers via a sweep. The Celtics had the third best ranking for lead margin after the fourth after the first quarter. So what that means is after the first quarter, the Celtics were usually winning by 2.4 points per game, which was third best in the NBA. The Bucks were fourth at 2.2, okay? So the Celtics are winning at the end of the first quarter by 2.4 points on average. The Bucks are number 1 when leading after the second quarter at 2.7. So the Bucks went up half a point for their lead going into halftime. The Celtics, negative 0.2, which means the Celtics lost two points in the second quarter where the Bucks gained a half a point. Then in the third quarter, the Bucks were third at 2.6. The Celtics were 11th at plus 0.5. So the Celtics were basically about a point better in the third quarter. And then the Bucks were number one overall in the fourth quarter at two even, and the Celtics were third best at 1.6. So let me go through this again for you folks, okay? After the first quarter, Celtics on average were up 2.4. After the third quarter, Celtics were up plus 0.5. After the third after the fourth quarter, the Celtics were up plus 1.6. But after the second quarter, the Celtics were down minus 0.2. The Bucks after the second quarter went from 2.2 to 2.7 to 2.6 to 2. So what does that show? If the Celtics can play well in the second quarter and then outscore the Bucks in the fourth quarter, they'll win the series. So the second 12 minutes of basketball, the 13th minute mark to the 24th minute mark, are going to be so motherfucking important, it's going to knock your socks off. And I will end that way. Toodles and noodles, X's and O's, congrats again for the sweep, but it's time to buckle down, play for the Bucks. I'll talk to you guys after game one in round two. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.